Podcast number nine. Hello today from sunny Sioux Falls, South Dakota. I want to start with a quote from Helen Keller. What we have once enjoyed deeply, we can never lose. All that we love deeply becomes a part of us. Two weeks ago, I touched the tip of the iceberg when I spoke about suicide. Suicide is death by just another name, but the implications and stigma that surround its mystery and aftermath are strong enough to touch every facet of our lives and of society. That was written by Nana and Gary Zastro. No matter the cause of death, to be a companion to a person in grief is humbling. It requires active listening, being still, and sitting with patience and kindness. Think of a person in grief as being under reconstruction. Last week, I went to a week-long training in Fort Collins, Colorado, learning about suicide grief, companioning the mourner. It was hosted by Ellen Wolfelt. That gentleman that I have spoken about in every one of my podcasts, I actually got to go to my sixth training through him. It is always rewarding. There's always a lot of emotions because everyone's sharing their story. But this time, there were parents, moms, and sisters that shared their stories of loss of a loved one by suicide. All week, we heard how to be a companion. Here is a small piece of what Wolfelt wanted us to know, and so I wanted to share with you. The reality is to integrate grief into your life requires that you are touched by what you experience. When you cannot feel a feeling, you are closed in your ability to use it or be changed by it. And instead of experiencing movement, you become stuck. Feeling has one ambition in life. It is to be felt. Emotions want motion. What a quote. Emotions want motion. You can listen with your heart, quite simply. All helping starts with mouths closed, ears open, and your presence available. Your friend may relate the same story again and again, called the awesome power of going backward before four or retelling the story, and actually invite them to do that very thing with you. Avoid uh, simplistic explanations or cliches, if you will, which are trite comments that are often intended to diminish the loss. So things like, well, time heals all wounds, or you have other children, often the mourner particularly after a suicide death, will never forget that you said those kinds of things. So be compassionate. Learn from the true expert, who is the mourner. Many people will experience things like psychic numbing, which means that very different than normal shock, that for months and months they at times feel like they're outside themselves looking in. That's why we often use a minimum of three ceremonies with them spread out over time. Instead of one funeral, for example, because often they're there, but they can't access the functions of meaningful ceremony at that time. So you continue to support them through that over time. Encourage them to find who's in their therapeutic third, if you will. The third of people are neutral. 
a third of people will say and do things that actually you come to understand make you feel worse than you felt before you were around them. And another third of people generally are helpful. Spend time with your helpful people. Set boundaries around some of those that aren't. So in closing, I would just simply say, remember that death ends a life, not a relationship, and that people, particularly when a death has stigma and taboo surrounding it in our culture, sometimes think, well, I shouldn't bring it up. I might make them sad. Well, they're already sad. Remember, suicide is death by just another name, but know that you have to be outreach-oriented, that you don't sit back and say, well, if you want to talk, call me. Reach out to your friend or your family member that's been impacted by a suicide death and be present. Mouth closed, ears open, presence available, and then as they teach you, learn how to be responsibly supportive. Those are just a few of many things that we can do to help each other.